DeMello was a, a Jesuit. He was born in Bombay, India in 1931. And he's widely known for his work that integrates Western and Eastern philosophy thought into a practical spirituality that really opens us up to being happier, being more enlightened in the way we live and the way we love. Although DeMello died in 1987, his books have continued to sell. They're bestsellers, more than two million sold. And um, I was thinking, you know, if DeMello was still around, he was here, and you were to ask him, what do I need to do to change myself? He'd say, you don't have to do anything. That, in fact, all your efforts to change have really gotten you nowhere. The more you do, the worse it gets. And so for DeMello, spirituality isn't about changing yourself at all. Spirituality is about waking up to that light of your true self. So there you have just a nutshell description of uh, what Tony DeMello was all about. So let's take a deeper look. There's an ancient Indian story that DeMello liked to tell. It's a story of a villager that in India happened upon this sannyasi. A sannyasi is a wandering holy man who's attained enlightenment, who understands that the whole world is his home and the sky is his roof and he knows that God is his father and God will look after him. So he moves from place to place the way you and I move from room to room. You know, the whole world is his home. And one day the villager happened upon him and the villager says, I can't believe my eyes. He said, I had a dream about you last night. And I dreamt that the Lord Vishnu said to me, tomorrow morning you will run into a wandering Sanjasi. He said that you possess a precious stone and that should you give it to me, its value would make me the richest man in the world. So do you have such a stone? The Sanjasi began to rummage around through his knapsack and after a moment he pulled out an object and he handed it to the villager and he said, is this the stone that you saw in your dream? It was the very same stone, a diamond as big as his fist. And he held the diamond in his two hands, and the sannyasi said, please, keep it. I found it in the forest. You're welcome to have it. So the villager took this diamond, and he went and he sat under a tree, and he held the diamond close to his heart. And for a while, you know, he experienced great joy. I mean, you can imagine. Now, this is the kind of joy we all experience we all feel the day that we get something that we really want you know in high school you got the girl or the boy that you wanted right or later you got the car you wanted you got your degree you got what you thought was your dream job uh you bought your first house such joy but you know have you ever stopped to look at how long that kind of joy lasts uh, how many hours or days it actually stays with you. Eventually, we take these things for granted and we grow tired of what we got. Soon, you know, the grass over there looks greener, so we chase after that. Or we get disappointed, you know, something isn't good enough anymore, or it doesn't live up to our expectations, and soon we're off looking for something else. Well, understanding this truth is so valuable, it's so core to DeMello, because what good are all these things that I mentioned if we don't understand what it means to live and to love and to be free and to be spiritual and to live in the light of our own true self? So back to the villager, you know, he's under the tree with his diamond and he sat there all day clutching his diamond, immersed 
in thought, and gradually he came to an insight. And toward evening, he returned to the place where the Sanyasi was, and he gave him back the diamond. I've decided, the villager said, that this wasn't what I was looking for. May I ask you to do me one more favor? Could you give me the inner richness that makes it possible for you to so easily give away this thing that would have made you the richest man in the world? Sooner or later, there arises in every one of us, in every human being, the desire for holiness, for wholeness, for spirituality, for God, you know, whatever you call it. The seeds of freedom are inside each of us, and by freedom I mean freeing yourself from your illusions about what will make you happy and the suffering that these illusions cause you. Think of something painful right now that you experience in your life currently, something you wish would change, you wish would go away. So just take a moment and do that. Locate that thing, that situation you'd sooner be rid of. And imagine now that you could actually be free of it, inwardly free, without anything changing about that thing or that situation, but with something shifting inside of you. That's what DeMello's after. That's spiritual power. Well, you know, the great mystics, all of them, they speak of a divinity all around you, inside you, that is always there, always within easy grasp, that would make your life meaningful and beautiful and happy and rich, not tomorrow, but right now, without anything in you or around you needing to change at all. Wow. If we could only discover that divinity, right? But look at the heartache everywhere, especially right now. But it's always true. Look at the loneliness. Look at the fear, the confusion, the conflict in people's hearts. Everywhere. Inner conflict. Outer conflict. We all have kind of vague idea as to what this divinity, I was just talking about what it is. Um, we see it in children, certainly. But we've lost touch with it. So we read books and we consult spiritual teachers or psychologists or gurus in an attempt to find out what we have to do to regain that elusive thing called divinity or holiness or spirituality, which boils down to our true self, that if we regain would make our lives so much more meaningful, more beautiful, happier, richer. We pick up all sorts of techniques and spiritual exercises and formulas. And then, you know, after years of striving, usually fruitless striving, we become discouraged again and confused. And we wonder, you know, what went wrong? What did I do wrong? Why am I still so anxious? Why do I still get depressed? Why don't I experience more peace, more happiness? And more often than not, you know, we blame ourselves. We think, if I'd only practice more, you know, these techniques more regularly, or if I had been more fervent, you know, more altruistic, or I meditated more, then I might have made it. But made it to what? 
You know, we have no clear idea as to what this holiness, this enlightenment, this true self is. But we certainly know that our lives are not as happy as they could be. We still feel unfulfilled. We still become anxious, insecure, fearful, resentful. We're still unforgiving. We're still grasping for more of this, more of that, you know, more money, more success, never feeling that we're good enough, always seeking other people's approval, you know, compromising our authenticity to fit in, ambitious, manipulating people to get them to give us what we want. You know, we're all caught up in that to one degree or another, a lesser degree or more degree, depending on the day, depending on how badly we want something or how insecure we might feel. So when that inevitably hits bottom and bankrupts, which it is usually around midlife, we again throw ourselves into what we think we need to do to fix ourselves and to be successful, to make it, without getting much further than before. So DeMello's message is stop fixing yourself. If he were here, he would say, suppose there is a way of getting rid of all that. Suppose there is a way to stop that tremendous drain of energy and health and emotion that comes from all this conflict and confusion. Would you want that? Suppose there is a way that we would truly love one another and be at peace and support one another and be at love. Suppose that there is actually nowhere you need to go, that you are there already, right now, but you don't even know it. The Mello said that people ask him all the time, what do I need to do to change myself? What do I need to do to fix myself? What do I need to be more spiritual? And he'd say, I have a big surprise for you. You don't have to do anything. In fact, the more you do, the worse you're going to make it. All you have to do is understand. The trouble with most people, DeMello says, is that we're so busy trying to fix things in ourselves and in other people, things that we really don't understand. So DeMello invites us to stop fixing ourselves. He would say to all of us, you're okay. Don't interfere. Don't fix anything. Simply watch. Observe yourself. Be aware. These things in you that you struggle to fix, they just need to be understood. And if you understood them, they would change by themselves. They would drop away. Wow, what a relief, right? But most people have never stopped to consider the simple fact that their efforts really are getting them nowhere. But they've never really stepped away from the rat race long enough to see that their efforts don't lead to growth. Effort itself doesn't lead to growth. Effort, whatever the form it takes, whether it's willpower or habit or technique or a spiritual exercise, it, it does not lead to change. At best, effort leads to kind of repression and covering over of the root problem that we don't understand. We may fix the problem now and then, but it doesn't change the inner person, our inner self. What matters is not our situation or our problem, but seeing through to what you are, what you truly are and are becoming. All the mystics, no matter what the theology, no matter what the religion, they're unanimous about one thing, and that is, is that all is well. Imagine that. Though everything is a mess, 
all is well. They say that you're already happy right now, though you don't know it. It's a strange paradox. Tragically, most people never get to see that all is well because they're asleep, even though they don't know that either. They're having a nightmare. They don't understand the loveliness and the, the beauty of this thing we call human existence. So Tony DeMello's message is wake up. Life is a banquet. The tragedy is that most people are starving to death. There was this story about these people who were stuck on a raft off the coast of Brazil, and they were dying of thirst, and they had no idea that the water that they were floating on was fresh water. The river from the Amazon was emptying into the sea with such force that it reached to the raft, and they had fresh water right there surrounding them, but they had no idea. And in the same way, uh, DeMello says, you're surrounded by joy and happiness and love, but most people, they have no idea of that whatsoever. And the reason? We're brainwashed into believing a set of false beliefs about ourselves and about our world and about our life. We've been hypnotized by these false beliefs. It's like a stage musician. Um who hypnotizes someone so that this person sees what's not there and doesn't see what actually is there. That's the human condition. This is where Tony DeMello begins. He begins saying that even though everything is a mess, especially the mess our egos make, all is still well. You are still happy by your very nature right now. You are already enlightened right now, so you don't know it. So. That's a basic, fundamental premise. So let's stop right there for a moment and see if you have any questions. So does this make sense to you, what's been yes. said so far? Yes, okay. I'm following you. Okay. And Brad? Yeah, we might get into this more, um, but um, one of the things, you know, I kind of was thinking about, you know, some of the, you know, the things that are going on in the world right now. How does this, from a position of privilege and of what we can understand for ourselves and how we are, you know, how, what we have and, and, you know, are, are hypnotized by and, you know, is, is it a, is it a luxury or is it to, to be able to take a, you know, to take a break from, I'm not going to worry about these things because I do have most of my basic needs taken care of. Does everybody yes, get to have this awakening? Yes. Well, the answer, first of all, to that question is yes. It's it's not they get to have. It's they already have. They already have the seeds of that awakening. Every human being does. So that's that's a premise. That's a theory, right? And so the litmus test for this premise, that you're already enlightened, you're already happy right now, unconditionally happy, unconditionally enlightened. You don't have to acquire it, you have it already, you're just not aware of it, the litmus test is that is true if you've just been diagnosed with cancer, and that is true if you've just been given an eviction notice because you lost your job to the pandemic. When I was working uh, with people back in the 2008 economic collapse who had lost their jobs and were on the verge of foreclosures, and they were parents with kids. And they would go out and they'd go for job interviews, one after another. And 
and they got weary and they were getting desperate and they were getting nowhere. Their attitude was pretty dismal. That's the way they were presenting themselves because they were so frightened. And so one of the things that really worked with people in correcting them is to come back into reality. Right now I have a roof over my head. I may not own it tomorrow, but I have a roof over my head. There's food in the refrigerator for the kids. Right now I'm okay. And from that place of identifying that at least circumstantially things are okay, all is well at a very basic level, they begin to translate that internally, that all was well, that they could be well, that they could then let go of, I don't have to get out of foreclosure to be happy. I don't have to get out of closure to feel well within myself, to feel the power of my capacity as a human being to change my situation. That's still there. All I have to do is give it permission. Those people that made that shift ended up straightening out their situation. It was, it's not about having a privileged status. It's even in the midst of dire circumstances. I've seen people make this shift in the middle of the war in Croatia. Of course, you know, the operative question is, why don't you know? Why don't I know? Why don't all of us know? We're enlightened already. And to that, Tony would say that you've been programmed by society to be unhappy, to be upset, to doubt yourself, to operate from scarcity. And so no matter what you do to become happy, to become whole, you're bound to fail just based on your programming. You know, most people are so brainwashed by society that they don't even realize how unhappy they are. It's only when they make contact with pure joy that they understand how depressed that they've been operating from a place of depression. So Tony would say, if you wish to be happy, the first thing you need isn't effort or even goodwill or even another spiritual practice. What you need is a clear understanding of exactly how you've been programmed. This is what happened to all of us. First, our society, our culture, taught us to believe that we would not be happy without certain people in our lives, without acquiring certain things, without achieving certain outcomes in our lives. Uh, and just take a look around you. You know, everywhere you look, people have built their lives on the unquestioned belief that without money, power, and success, and approval, and a good reputation, um, and all those things, they cannot be happy. Society programs us to believe that if we work hard and, you know, are productive, we'll succeed, at least according to society's measurements of success, and then we'll be happy. And that society's promised to us. But a mountain of research shows it doesn't work out that way. Happiness has nothing to do with all that. There was this famous study done years ago that compared Ireland back when it was a poor, struggling country to America, the perennial richest and most productive country in the world. But the Irish proved to be way more happier than the Americans. There was no correlation between our wealth and our happiness, quite the opposite. I want to invite you to stop right now, take out a piece of paper and a pen, and at the top of it, I want you to write this. I cannot be happy unless or until. Just write that at the top of your paper. 
And then underneath that, I want you to fill in the blank. Give you an example. I cannot be happy unless I lose 10 pounds. I cannot be happy until I am completely out of debt and have $20,000 in the bank. I cannot be happy until there is a vaccine for the pandemic. I cannot be happy until we quadruple our revenue. doesn't matter what it is. Just write down what comes up for you when you fill in that blank. I cannot be happy unless or until. Write several. Write another one after that one and take a minute and do that. Okay, so these things that you've written down on your list here, they're called attachments. And this uh, program belief that we cannot be happy until we possess these things is the fundamental cause of people's unhappiness. So I want you to look over your list and consider that this false belief is the cause of your suffering whenever you suffer, at whatever level you suffer. It's a cause of depression. It's the cause of anxiety. It's the cause of disappointment. It's the cause of not feeling good enough. The number one cause of suffering. I just want you to look at your list for a minute and consider that. Just open your mind to the possibility that that just might be true. You want to find your suffering? There it is. You want to relieve your suffering? Here's where you go. Because, you know, once you swallowed this belief about I can't be happy without my attachments, once you're convinced about that, how can you possibly be happy? Then it comes all the effort with it to acquire the things or the people or the outcomes and, and the clinging to it once you acquire those things to fight off every possibility of losing what you've gained. And this finally leads to emotional dependence so that the object of your attachment has the power to excite you when you attain it 
or to make you miserable when you're deprived of it. And, and in particular when you lose it. Once your attachment had you in its grip, you, you know, you began to strive to rearrange the whole world around your attachment. And what's happening outside of you now is determining what happens on the inside of you, which is why we go up and down emotionally so much and feel at risk so much. It places us at the mercy of the world. And this is an exhausting task trying to keep up with. It leaves you little energy for the business of living and enjoying life fully. It's also an impossible task uh, in an ever-changing world like ours that you, you simply are not able to control. So instead of living a life of serenity and, and fulfillment, you're doomed to a life of frustration and anxiety and worry and insecurity and suspense and tension. And every now and then, of course, for, you know, some fleeting moments, the world does yield to your efforts and rearranges things to suit your desires. And then you experience flashes of pleasure and you become happy briefly. But it isn't happiness at all because it's accompanied by that underlying fear that at any moment, all the things and people and goals that you have painstakingly put in place will slip out of your control if you don't stay on it. Uh, that it's going to let you down in some way. And sooner or later, it will. Just look at the pandemic. Look at all it's taken from so many people, including lives. It's just the nature of the world. The nature goes up. The nature of the world is to go up and down. It's mercurial. It, it takes what it gives and then it takes away. Um, nothing's guaranteed in this world. And if you're living your life trying to produce a guarantee, uh, you're going to suffer. That's another core theory, if you will, of uh, spirituality, and particularly DeMello's spirituality. So any questions about that part of it or any comment about that part of it? How about you, Gabby? What do you think of all that? Um, it was interesting, like, writing the list and then... As soon as you're like, those are the attachments that like the fundamental causes for my happiness or like unhappiness, I guess, right now. Uh, sure. Yeah, that one hit a little hard. <laughs> exactly how I've been thinking about this list is like, okay, once I get like, once I accomplish this or once I check this off the list, like, do you have to Leo Tolstoy wrote a book called The Death of Ivan Illich about a man who spends his entire life moving up the social ladder, and then midlife, he gets a life-threatening illness, and he looks back on his life, and he realizes he's wasted it, and it's not that one shouldn't pursue their dreams, one shouldn't step into their creativity and make something, it means there's a big difference between chasing after these attachments and suffering over these attachments in the way that we do, and living a creative, fulfilling a life that's in which we do things for its own sake and that we're not run by this social program that's really at the expense of becoming what we truly are deeply, which is love. If you take a look at the way we're all put together, the way we function, you know, normally, typically, um, we find that inside our head, there's this whole program stamped into us. 
and there, there are these sets of demands about how we think the world should be and how we've been programmed to think we should be and what we should want. You know, the question is, who's responsible for this programming? And it's, and it's not you. It was the way your parents and your society and your culture and your religion and your past experiences that wired your brain to insist that its demands be met by life, by people in your life, and by you. And if these demands are met, your brain's fear center, it's called the amygdala, will quiet down and allow you to be peaceful and be happy. And if they're not met, even though it's not your fault at all, your brain's fear center will generate negative emotions. In short, you've been trained to upset yourself. You've basically been trained in a way that's wired your brain to upset you. For instance, when other people don't live up to your programmed expectations, your brain will torment you with frustration, with anger, be bitter. When things are not under your control or the future, you know, begins to look uncertain, precarious, your fear center will insist that you experience these fight-or-flight emotions like anxiety, tension, worry. And then, you know, you're going to expend a lot of energy, kind of like what Gabby was saying, coping with these negative emotions, these anxieties, by expending even more energy trying to rearrange the world around you and the people around you so that the demands of your programming will get met. And again, if you succeed for a time, you'll be able to relax a little bit for a moment. But it's a precarious moment. You know, at any point, some trifle, because of this wiring, like your smartphone doesn't work or your computer glitches, an email that you've been expecting hasn't arrived, you know, you name it. It's going to be out of conformity with your brain's programming, and your brain's going to insist you become upset. And these things depend on and come from the criteria society establishes on what success is. And they happen because of your conditioning. You've been conditioned into this. And it becomes a way of life. It's a pathetic existence that is constantly at the mercy of things and people as you try to desperately make life conform to your programming's demands so that you can enjoy the only peace that you can ever know, which is a short-lived recess from negative emotion. So think about whenever you have been anxious and afraid. Isn't it been because you might lose something that you're attached to? Think about any time that you felt jealous. Isn't it because it has something to do with something you want to get but don't have that somebody else has? Doesn't almost all the anger that you experience come from somebody standing in your way and in the way of your attachment? Think about how paranoid we can become when our attachment is threatened. You look at your list, when one of those things is threatened, you can become paranoid and suspicious and behave in untrustworthy ways because you can't think objectively. Your whole vision becomes distorted. 
you're depressed and miserable, the cause is that life is not giving you what you've convinced yourself you can't be happy without. In order to be genuinely happy, there's only one thing you need to get right, and that is to get deprogrammed and get rid of these attachments. But when people stumble into it, they become frightened how painful it might be to drop these attachments. We're so identified with them. But actually, the process is not painful at all. It's really a relief. It's like taking off a tight shoe that you've been walking in for miles. So how do you take off that tight shoe? It's not your willpower. It's through sight. All you need to do is open your eyes and see that you don't really need the object of your attachments at all, that you were programmed, brainwashed into believing a set of false beliefs. There's not a single moment in your life when you do not have everything that you need to be happy. Think about that for a minute. The reason you are unhappy is that you are focusing on what you don't have rather than on what you have right now. Think about that. Let me say that again. The reason that you're ever unhappy is because you're focusing on what you don't have and not on what you do have. Open your eyes to that. The second false belief to see through is that my happiness is in the future. Not true. Right here, right now, you are happy. You just don't know it because of your false beliefs. You have gotten you caught up in, in the fears and the anxieties that attachments cause. It's all at the expense of being happy, being alive right here, right now. If you see through this illusion, you'd realize that you truly are happy and you didn't know it. Another false belief, happiness will come if you manage to change the situation you're in and the people you're around. It's not true. As I said, you know, we stupidly squander so much energy trying to rearrange the world. Don't harbor the illusion that it's going to make you happy. What makes you happy or unhappy is not the world, not the people around you. It is you who empowers or disempowers your unhappiness. Happiness is a natural state. It's in you. You don't have to earn it. You have it already. It's always there for the taking. If it is happiness that you want, you can stop wasting energy trying to cure your baldness if you have baldness. Building an attractive body, changing your residence, changing your job, your community, your personality. You don't have to change anything to be happy. You don't need to have lived very long to realize that you could change every one of these things I just mentioned, and you could have the finest looks, be the most charming personality, have a lot of money, live in a very pleasant surroundings, and still be unhappy. Deep down, we all know that's true. I've coached millionaires who are miserable. You know, their greatest failure is success without fulfillment. And I've also known people with little or nothing to their name who are happy as they could be. And we're teachers to everyone about happiness. It's proverbial, but still, we you know, we keep trying to get what we know can't make us happy. Another false belief that we want to see through is all of your desires are fulfilled. You will finally be happy. Not true. In fact, 
it is these very desires and attachments that make us tense and frustrated and nervous and worried and insecure. Tony would invite you to look at your list of those attachments, the ones that you just made, and to each one of them to say, deep down in my heart I know that even after I've gotten this, I will not get happiness. Ponder the truth of those words. Getting things may bring flashes of pleasure and excitement, but don't mistake that for happiness. So here's something very important to recognize. Uninterrupted happiness is uncaused. True happiness is unconditional. It's what you are. It's not what you do. It's what you were born with. Children know this. You know, happiness is a natural state of little children until they've been polluted and contaminated by the stupid programming of our society and our culture. And when you rediscover this fact, this truth about happiness, you'll understand that you can't make somebody happy. Neither is anyone the source of your happiness. Happiness is your natural state. You don't have to do anything to acquire happiness. You can say that over and over again because you have it already. You just need to drop something for it to arise, and that something is your attachments. Wake up to these false beliefs. Spirituality is about waking up. So, Shelley, how about you? I am tracking with you for sure. I think the question I still have or that I keep coming back to is um, who or what would you say are the drivers of the social programming? Where does that pressure originate? If you stop and you think about how we're made up, uh, as, as Americans. So that's our culture. That's our society, right? So when we, as we get Americanized, what we're socialized to make really important is money. What we're socialized to make really important is success. To measure ourselves in those terms. When we were growing up, we move into school, we learn to please our teachers. And that turns into being socialized to please our bosses. And that turns into being socialized into the need to please other people. And as we go through that process, we begin to notice that we're less and less authentic. In other words, we're beginning to ask ourselves, who am I? I've lost contact with that. But we don't ask ourselves, where, where does that come from? Well, it comes from the way in which we've been been socialized. So we're trying to live up to these social norms that we've been programmed into, and those social norms are what uh, our society thinks makes the economy go. And it comes at at the expense of really living a, a fulfilling life, so that we equate fulfillment with the bottom line, and not only within our, our how our companies do, but with how we do. We get we get so programmed into it. We we had that thing a couple of years ago where those wealthy movie stars were paying off um, people within Stanford and Harvard and the big universities, paying them off to forge things to get their children into the university, all based on the parents' belief: I can't be happy 
unless my kid is in an Ivy League school and succeeding because my identity is tied up in that. And then the whole world stepped back from it and said, well, that, that, that really sucks. But I don't think the whole society stepped back and said, there's something wrong with our society. There's something wrong with the, our conditioning that makes, makes us people like that. So we, when we look at it from that standpoint, we begin to stop and ask ourselves, what, what is this costing me? But at, at the, at the most fundamental essential part of my being as a human being, what is this costing me? And that's what Tony DeMello is asking us all to ask. Michael? I'll, I'll add thoughts. It all makes perfect sense. And when you sit down for an hour and think about it like this and think about it in this context, it's like, yeah, duh. Like this, this just is true. It's, it's it, inarguable that this is true. I, I can see you could spend years working on deprogramming what you've been programmed to. I mean, it is such a deep belief. So what's the opposite of stress? Well, being at peace. What's the opposite of being worried? Well, being happy. What's the opposite of, of thinking of scarcity? Appreciating what you have. People say, well, it's really hard to be at peace, to, to be happy. You know, I'm in, under such pressure cooker and I would say you need to change your your belief there because what's really hard is being stressed what's really hard is being anxious uh, you notice that those times that you've really relaxed and let go is that life got really easy we need to change our our thoughts because we're we're programming ourselves with beliefs all the time and we have to ask ourselves when we confront a belief it's really hard for me to reprogram myself you just programmed yourself how is it that you interrupt that programming pattern and the answer is awareness and so that's what we're moving into next let me ask one more question so for people who get to awareness for people who do shed this programming is it still possible to exist and live within the rest of society? It feels like it would be really There's hard. a lot of forces programming you and keeping the programming going. Yeah, no, that's that why awareness is so important. If you shed yeah. these, I feel like you can't relate to 99.9% .9 of Americans. So that's a good thing. And you're right. You know, you, you often hear from, from uh, sages, holy men, is that they... They go through a phase where they're wondering, am I crazy or is it all of them that are crazy? As they begin to wake up, as they begin to wake up to life. How could finding a path to being happy that is as simple as, as being more aware of what's going on inside of you, how could that lead to anything but something positive coming into your life? So that when you walk down the hall and uh, you're, you know, Full steam ahead in, in your success mode. Once you once you wake up, as you walk down the hall, life doesn't pass you by. You're alive and awake to what's going on as you move from here to there. But so much of it is our lives is happening up here in our head, you know, in in the forces that are driving us. And so we can drive. We think if we drop out of that, we will fail. 
And it turns out the opposite is true. Drop out of that, you become way more creative. You become way more intuitive. You, you become way more fluid. You know, you move into what's called the psychology of flow. That's the next thing we're going to get to. You're right on cue. So let's, uh, let's get to that operative question that Michael just asked, which how does one drop these attachments? This, how does one drop this programming that, ha that creates our identity with these attachments? And so the answer is simple. As I said, it's through awareness. You only have to look and see that the attachment is based on a false belief, like the false beliefs that we just went over. You know, you're not stupid. You're highly intelligent. You know, you're the crown of creation. So the moment you see that a false belief is false, you'll drop it. And when you drop it, you're now free of it. And then you'll begin to experience how happiness arises all by itself. What you are aware of, you control. But what you're unaware of controls you. You're always slave to what you're not aware of. And when you're aware of it, you're free from it. It's there, but you're not affected by it. You're not controlled by it. You're not enslaved by it. And that's the difference. It's there, but you're beyond it. So let's do something here. I want to invite you to recall a person or a thing that you have an attachment to could be from your list, um, it can be anything, and anything, you know, that you've handed the power to to make you happy or unhappy, and look at it, sit with it, maybe it's winning the sale, maybe it's winning somebody's approval, it can be anything. And notice how intense you feel. Notice how much of your focus it consumes, really to the exclusion of anything else. Notice how you have less sensitivity to the rest of the world. See how you become hardened, not in your heart. Fear is taking you out of your heart. Worry is taking you out of your heart. You're now incapable of seeing that divinity that we talked about at the top of this hour, that divinity that's all around you and inside you that makes life meaningful and beautiful and happy and rich. And is there for the scene every moment until we actually put walls around it. So see how your attachment can build a wall around you. And allow that awareness to take note. And when you see that, what it's costing you, you'll feel a, a yearning to be rid of your attachment. Cultivating this power called awareness is key. And so what specifically are you supposed to be aware of? And the answer is everything.
your reactions in you throughout the day, each time you're in the presence of another person, becoming aware of that person, aware of the way in which you're interacting, becoming aware of nature, nature that's around you, you know, the weather there, the steamy and humid, the feel of it on your skin. To be aware when you're in a particular situation and it's beginning to churn up emotions in you. You know, you have all sorts of reactions all day long, positive and negative. So to be aware of them, to be conscious of them. You can actually do this as you do whatever you're doing. You can be tuned in. And when you have time to study those reactions, if if you reacted negatively to somebody, to step back when you have a chance and look at them, discern where they came from. Most of the time you see they came from your programming or from your past. And, you know, do it without any sermonizing or guilt-tripping on yourself, without any self-condemnation, much less an effort to try to change yourself or change them. Just let be. Just let be. That's all that one needs for this holiness to arise, for this higher self that's always there to arise. The negative feeling is in you, not necessarily reality. You know, reality is neutral, and usually reality is just fine. You know, the reaction, the negativity, isn't really coming from reality. It's coming from your programming. Remind yourself of that. Life is easy when when you get out of the way. Life is a joy. It's only hard on your illusions. It's only hard on your attachments, your ambition. It's what all the mystics have been saying forever. You know, going back to Jesus Christ, he said, consider the lilies of the field. And how they grow. And they don't toil. They don't spin. Yet, you know, Jesus said, look at their glory. Jesus wasn't just talking about lilies. He was talking about a glory that is inside of you and me, inside of all of us. To see it. And to see it, the first thing you need to do is to get in touch with negative feelings, that direct outcome of an attachment. The negative feeling is in you, not in necessarily reality. The next step is not to identify with the negative feeling, and that's really important. Don't define your essential self in terms of that feeling. You know, don't say, I am depressed. That's programming yourself to to put your identity there. You're not depressed. You're experiencing depression at the moment. Or you can say, depression is there at the moment. I know it sounds artificial. But it's really important to make this distinction for your brain to understand that you're not the, you're not your emotional state. Your emotional state is something that is happening, but it does not define you. It's not in your identity. It's not that I am gloomy. It's that gloominess is there right now. I'm aware of it. I'm not defining myself in terms of that feeling, but I'm allowing it to be there. Don't define your essential self in those terms, in other words, in terms of that feeling. It does not affect the essential you, the essential I that is you. Imagine how you have a bucket of black paint, and you toss it up into the air, and that represents your negative emotions. As it goes up in the air and you're, you're looking through it, the air is contaminated. But the air doesn't get colored. It's true of you. You have negative feelings 
they come and go. They pass like dark clouds, but the blue sky is always there. It's those things are passing through the blue sky. You're the blue sky. You aren't the dark clouds. The dark clouds are something that's passing through. There's depression there right now. There's hurt feelings there right now. Let it be. Leave it alone. It will pass. Your depressions and your thrills have nothing to do with happiness. Those are just swings of the pendulum. This has nothing to do with your true self. The swings have nothing to do with happiness, nothing to do with holiness. So let's do an exercise for a moment. It's a short little exercise of equating awareness with what you are. You are awareness. What you are is awareness. It's coming into relationship with your life, with your life force. That's what awareness is. It's your life force. Your life force being conscious. So become aware of your breath for a moment. You know, put your, kind of fold your hands and rest them on your lap. If you like, close your eyes and just follow your breath. Breath in, breath out. Observe how your breath comes and goes. But here you are, watching it, aware of it. Get a sense of the awareness. Become aware of what you're thinking. What are you thinking at the moment? Observe the thoughts that come and go. Become aware of the feelings your thoughts produce. And step back from the comings and goings of thoughts and feelings and sense the awareness that's watching. Notice what doesn't come and go, which is you. It's awareness that doesn't change. It's always there. You're always there. So allow yourself to be pure awareness for a moment. You're feeling yourself. You are the very sense of being or presence that is there when you become aware of the present moment. 
That awareness is real. What comes and goes is not real. So Tony is challenging us to stop chasing it. It doesn't matter. You matter. So bring your awareness to what you never lose, but never leave, which is you. And rest there for a moment. Silence is where we meet ourselves. Silence is where all the mystics say, you'll find God. You'll find freedom. That's what's important. You are always there in bliss and in misery. Bliss comes, bliss goes. Misery comes, misery goes. But here, in this awareness, that's where the freedom is. That's where happiness is. That's where you find it. Nowhere else. Nowhere else.